0: Cricket is always worth celebrating, so Beer 52 are offering our listeners eight craft beers, sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com middle and just cover the $5.95 for the postage. Beer 52 is the world's most popular craft beer discovery club, with over 150,000 members that they send a brand new case to every month. Every case has a different theme. Past themes have included beer from New Zealand, South Africa, Korea, and all over the USA and Europe. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option, and your case will come with the award-winning beer magazine, Ferment, and a tasty snack. And if you do change your mind at any point, you can pause or cancel your account at any time. Just go to beer52.com middle to get your first case of eight beers for $5.95. That's the word beer, numbers 52.com slash middle.
1: Cricket is back and in full swing. William Hill is the place to be for cricket punters this year with a suite of offers across all formats of the game, domestically and internationally. Check out all William Hill's in-play offers, along with all the latest odds and promotions, at williamhill.com or on the free app. 18 Plus, please gamble responsibly.
2: Hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. My name is Myles Jupp. I am joined as ever by uh, 95 mile an hour, Ashes winning, World Cup winning bowler, Mark Wood of Ashington CC. Hello, Miles. How are you, Mark? I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, actually, all things considered. What have you been
3: doing, Miles? Tell me what you've been doing. I'm interested in you today.
2: I have been taking life reasonably easy, if I'm perfectly honest. Uh, watching a lot of IPL, reading. I've read some fantastic books lately, including uh, Nathan Lemon's book, in which you feature. I've, been, I've read Catch 22. I read the new Jonathan Coe novel.
3: So tell me about uh, Nate's book. Nate's, Nate, for those listening, Nathan is... That, that's, is your, our... that's the one
2: that you're most interested in, are you? Well, not, he's our analyst. Not, not Catch 22. Yeah. Well, it's 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 about statistics and analysis I suppose, but it's about, you know, certain commonly held beliefs within the sort of game about approaches that turn out to be to be wrong. And um, you know, some of it's sort of anecdotal uh, and some of it's, you know, just sort of very deep trenchant uh, analysis of the game. So it's quite, it's quite numbers heavy. So so do you believe in stats miles? Do I believe that that in using them or that So are you a stats driven person?
3: Do you think, when you look at cricket, do you look at the? Do you think the stats are a true reflection, or are you someone that thinks you just purely like watch on them and feel the game?
2: This sounds like the sort of answer that a sort of a cricket equivalent of a politician would give. But I imagine there is a way of, you know, ma- you know, balancing the two of them marrying up. And you think sometimes you've got to go with gut instinct. You don't uh. want to be the sort of person that goes, oh, I'll just check. No, no, 75% of wide Yorkers in the last over of a T20 game mm-hmm. are simply hit out to the sweeper at extra cover. I think that would be a very boring way of... You know, I'd, I'd like it if captains ever, now and go, oh, I don't know, just all a bouncer, do whatever. Uh, you know, I, th- I, you think, I think cricket need, needs a little bit of do whatever, as does, like, you know, you know, like when you go to a cocktail bar, Mark, and you just uh, just say, oh, surprise me, to the barman. I think that is... You've got to do that sometimes, rather than going... Or eighty-five percent of the time, I order a dry martini. I feel a bit ill the next day. Um, that's because you have nine of them. you mad idiot. Um, I think it's perfectly acceptable to be a bit more <laughs> of, uh, spontaneous sometimes. Don't don't drink uh, espresso martinis after three in the morning because you will struggle to get much written the next day. Those sorts of things. You can use you can use data in that mm. way. <laughs> don't invite Kenneth. He's really drunk and handsy. Uh, those <laughs> sorts of things. That kind of that, that kind of data. Um, I don't know anyone called Kenneth. Um, he is a straw man. Uh, and you, do you, when people bring up then data and stuff in the dressing room, do you think, oh God? Or do you think, oh, uh, right?
3: No, no, I, I think there's definitely a place for it. Obviously, Nath, um, with Do you the, ever think,
2: how am I supposed to remember all of this?
3: No, I think it's, it, it depends how much you want to dive into it. Like for me, when we look at batsmen as a bowler, I look at, you know, how best to get them out and when they're, they're particularly trying to smash it, well will they look to hit it um and often during the game, you'll be a adaptant, so you'll speak the captain you'll you'll know the the blueprint of where the score and and numbers as these is called a, a fitting name obviously
2: uh, oh why is, why is that
3: uh, <laughs> he's
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> we he just had to think of a new name because he wanted us to stop calling him trousers <laughs> so uh he um he will have all the data
3: and he puts we'll put things on the wall um like little um cards of each player and where they're good to, to ball up, where the score um where they'll look to play maybe early on the power play where they'll look to play later on so you've got as much information as you want need me personally i, I like to go on a bit more good feel having looked at that stuff but i wouldn't do it too much so that is a place for it and I think it is you're, important. you're a
2: bit more ooh surprise me Barman yes maybe a little bit more that Any, way, but,
3: anything with an umbrella but things things have surprised me which we have looked at the data so there was one uh, thing that I would tell you about in the World Cup Chris Gale I was feeling really wide at third man and I was thinking Chris Gale why would he ever hit it to wide third man like he smacks it down the ground he like picks it up leg like, side and they were they were saying actually it's a wicket taking option and the fact that when he tries to hit the ball straight, if we can get the ball to move away from him, he sort of will will catch the splice and will fly down a wide third man. And of course, I was feeling that wide third man thinking, well, I'm never going to field the ball here. Little did I know that in the next over, Chris works balls when he splices it, I run in and drop the catch. Um, so maybe I should have paid more attention. But I think it's probably important in 2020 to have a couple of things made, honestly, because it's, it's draining. It's because it's so fast paced and you're in the next over, and then it's quickly in the next and the next, and you've got to be on it as soon as you're on. You're kind of like flow into a spell. So actually, you've probably got like a couple of things on each batter, and Mogs takes that pressure off you as captain, which, which he's really good at. And then you, you're into it, and you've just got to be like, right, I know he plays this shot where well. we'll cover, or I'll try and bullet here, let's cover the, this side of the ground, or let's do this.
2: What do you imagine is more stressful, Mark? Playing in a T20 game or acting in a play?
3: What do, what do I think is more stressful? Have you done both
2: Object- <laughs> oh i have I have done both actually um, but i don't i I played in a sort of t20 game for um the test match special sixtieth anniversary. I did find it quite stressful you know those sort of um are they called data bras? you wear these things that look like
3: Oh, gps units i did like bras
2: data bras i think I think everyone else calls them data bras <laughs> um, you need to you need to sort of that's that's what they're called in urban dictionary. That's it on the street. If you put like a- actors on a press night, if you made them wear g- GPS vests, uh, well, accept, well, accept vests, yeah. And just saw who got more, who got who was experiencing greater stress. Of course, obviously, the yeah, further that is about how good they are at dealing with stress in advance of that situation, I suppose. Like, if you train to be an HGV driver, the first time you're told to bay park, you know, like an HGV or whatever, I imagine that's that's quite terrifying. Or your first lesson as a teacher, something like that. In terms of mm. just trying to think what, 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 a, what a sort of... That was... That is... Yeah, sorry, we've got this really eccentric postman. Uh, he will not <laughs> use the doorbell. He just opens the letterbox and always makes that noise. Um, I'm wondering if perhaps, yeah, after this podcast, I'm going to have to do some... I'm going to have to be slightly more helpful about the house.
3: I would I would hate to do teaching and... Teaching. All those things, I think, would be so stressful.
2: So I'm going to say all of them things, T20, pretty not as stressful. But also, of course, the thing is that they're all things that you're like... The people doing them are trained for. It's not like as a sort of taking, like in a sort of Channel 4 way, just get a normal person and... Right, they've got to suddenly... Right, you're you're teaching geography tomorrow, to thirty pupils or whatever. The day after that, you're turning out for <laughs> you're turning out for um, Delhi capitals. You know, the, the, the day after that, you're 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 opening in a Western play or whatever. You know, if you're doing stand up in front of three thousand people, you think, God, this is, this is quite a lot of that's quite a lot of them. You know, if you're doing a Latitude Festival or whatever. And I thought to to keep being in that situation, you know, the number of people. You know, watching on TV when you're doing a game. If you, if you take a step back from it and think about how stressful is just the doing of this, I know you spend all your day practicing, all your, like your life practicing up these these skills and whatever. But actually, and and then on the day you're doing it, there's going to be X million people. So I've
3: got my, my I've got my methods of going through training, and you review about your training.
2: Not out. That's the oh, Steve, um, begging for it. Yeah, yeah. That's the Hermes man. He do, he's, <laughs> he's got exactly the same approach. Sometimes I wonder if it's the same guy. Anyway, you know, he's just taking two salaries. So I
3: have, I have my training. Like you revert back to your training when you're under pressure and stuff. And you know, stuff. Like that. When you're in front of the standard, what's what's your stuff? So how how this all? I picture them all naked. That can be true.
2: No, no. I in a way, in a way, I don't know what the approach is because sometimes it's it's. It's almost like a compartmentalising whereby you're not, you're basically your body doesn't let your brain know you're stressed so your back might start to really hurt. And you think, why is that hurting? And it's because you're taking all the stress into sort of your, your muscles or whatever. And sometimes it's a matter of just... So, so if someone doesn't,
3: so you've got a joke that everyone, you think everyone will laugh at. But they don't laugh. How? How do you then? Do you just cut? Like do you just reset and and do the next one? Well,
2: you just got to. You just got to crack on. Really, that's never happened to me. I've never done that before. No, no, no. Yes, I can't imagine what one would do. It must feel <laughs> awful. No. Well, it depends because I've got my sort of deliveries quite conversational and stuff. You can almost make it look like it wasn't there, or if you you know, or there's a son of. oh, Fair enough. <laughs> uh, whatever it might be, but just keep moving because you, you've got to do it, but it's more like in a play or whatever where there's other people on stage with you and you've got to get it right. Because you couldn't imagine that, could you, if you
3: got a first baller, could you? Oh, fair enough.
2: I don't know. That's the sort of Kane Williamson, you know, shame, eh? Yeah.
3: You know, amazing yeah.
2: attitude. Yeah. You know, I said to Alistair Cook, I'm I, like at a sort of TV awards thing about being sort of frightened of pace, but I was like, hey, never frightened. Why would you be frightened? And I thought, really? But maybe part of his coping is going... I'm not going to tell people I'm frightened like Paul Collingwood does or whatever. But the actual stress of what people are doing, quite apart from sort of Covid bubbles and things like that, is phenomenal. And I think it's easy to get, it's easy, to get, it gets sort of forgotten in the debate. Um, Mark, you do this thing, famously, people are always stopping me in the street and talking to me about it. What's it like to be the timer in uh, Mark Wood's Superover? And I say, well, it's, to be honest, it's one of the greatest privileges in my life. You know, um, I absolutely love it. And then occasionally people say... And you do it very well, of course, Miles. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks very much. But I also, I you know, I do spend a lot of time preparing for it, constantly timing if things are 90 seconds or not. Um, but what I've often wondered is, wouldn't it be exciting if I could ask the questions in Super Over? So I'm going to do that now, if you don't mind. We're going to have... Um, I'm going to still call it Markwood Superover Super Over because I can't bear the thought of it being called something else. But I'm going to ask the questions, and it really is, maybe to make it clearer what's going on, we should call it Mark Woods, Mark Woods Superover, because uh, you're going to answer the questions, and I'm going to ask them, Mark, okay? Hit me. You know the rules. Mm. Okay. Oh, I, I tell you what. So, I, should I be timing my own back? Yeah, go on, yeah, go on. Yeah, I think, yeah, 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 I think as well. It's probably not as easy as I make it look. All right, I'm ready. Okay, here we go. And go. How do you like your eggs in the morning? I like man with the kids. Lovely.
3: Favorite Robson Green show? I shall have a fishy on the little dishy. I shall have a fishy when the book comes in. <laughs> he wasn't in that. What was the last thing you stole? I stole an action figure on Holder, which we man met back and apologized for and for as a pirate.
2: Arr! I didn't really start doing this podcast to be associated with a criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Name three types of dog Labrador, Cotter uh, King Spaniel, and a poodle. First dance at your wedding. Let it go, James Baird. Um, Name two England colleagues you could bench press. Obviously, because I'm mega strong. Johnny Best and Tamal Mills on top of each other. Very impressed. Um, if you had to go back to the uh, the bad old days of roommates on tour, who would be the best? Well, me and Stokes have roomed together before and I've
3: had a few misdemeanours. So I'm going to count Ben Stokes out. once broke a mirror with an apple trying to play a catching game. That went badly wrong. Uh, sorry, uh,
2: I digress. The time is taken.
3: Uh, who would I most likely be with? Chris Walks, great man. That was
2: not the question. OK. Um, <laughs> would you rather take five... <laughs> would you rather take five for 50 or six for 150? Six for... Name a type of spoon. Wouldn't. Uh, you're going on Celebrity MasterChef, mainly because you want to get a selfie to, with and Wallace. What's your signature dish? Just pure gravy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you've got 10 minutes to put together an outfit for trick-or-treating um, what are you going as? a, a, a ghost? a sheet ghost? sheet? sheet ghost uh, your Prime Minister for the day never mind your policies just what day of the week would you choose? Sunday of the Lord's Day uh, light meters a source of joy or pain? pain uh, sing the first song that comes into your head ooh Oblada. uh-huh name three castles in Northumberland oh, Bambro. Walkworth, Anik cream or custard? That cream weasel or ferret, ferret, lovely. How long was that? How long was that? Three minutes. Three uh, minutes to be,
3: to be Three honest, minutes? To be honest, I threw you with the beds. Uh, what was that question with the roommates thing? I, I, I just I thought it cru- was like
2: I, the first question. Well, it was going to be who would be the best roommate and who'd be the worst. You answered the who'd be the best roommate with a heartbreaking story of a time that um Ben Stokes and you damaged a mirror with an apple. Yeah,
3: there was it was in South Africa. We were in one of those um. Protea Hotels, and they, they always put apples on, like, a little stand on the wall. The apple stand?
2: Yeah, the apple stand.
3: Yeah, yeah well, one day I, we were rooming together, and we were sort of like... That's what they
2: do in all nice hotels. It,
3: and then we started trying to catch it one hand and stuff like that. And then, stupidly, I thought, can I get the apple back on the stand from throwing it from my bed? And I threw it straight in the mirror, and the mirror smashed. Luckily, though, a guy Jackson bit, blamed Stokesy, he mustn't have thought I must have had that good an arm. So... The, the uh team manager I, I still remember the quote of this day well we've been here before haven't we Ben? and i just thought well i'll leave the room now
2: <laughs> i was once um in norfolk filming i don't know if you've seen it it was for sky arts it was a version of the goldsmith play she stoops to conquer i was playing catch with an egg with a mate and for, i don't know why i did it, it was with my friend joe thompson we were playing catch with a raw egg in in someone's kitchen and I stood out of the way of one of his throws and the egg hit the wall and egg went all the way up the wall and stopped millimetres short of this picture frame. And the picture, did not it wasn't glazed. And someone came in and said, who just did that? And I was like, oh, sorry, that was us. And um, they were like, that, is a, that painting is by Vanessa Bell. Go- anyway, so I Googled it. It was worth 70 grand and we nearly got an egg on it absolute a couple of absolute monsters i used to
3: do that with my mom quite regularly actually she used to iron as, when i was a kid she throw eggs at her i she used to iron in the living room and i just say think fast and throw the egg My mother caught it as well unbelievable <laughs> and then the other time my mom used to hate is throwing stuff in the house but i was always trying to keep the arm loose you know just in case anybody needed us. and i threw a couple of grapes at me dad and um it's he missed missed one and splattered on the wall and then me my dad was like, You stupid idiot. Your, your mum will kill you for this. And he started wiping it off the wall, and I took a picture. And then when my mum came down and saw it, my dad was blaming me, and I showed her the photographic evidence of him cleaning it up, saying, Well, it must have been him. So I'm sorry, dad. I'm now letting all this out, but mum, it was actually me. Should we maybe just introduce this week's guest?
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Let's introduce this week's guest. Yeah, I've got. Uh, I know who it is. I've got a few clues. Um, now then, can you think of a great way of using up some old sponge cake?
3: <laughs> <coughs> Maybe in a
2: trifle. Yes, and then um, just 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 take the word trifle for a bit of a walk, have a little bit of a play, and can do any cricket names emerge?
3: Truffle, truffle, toffle, Simon
2: toffle. I'd just like to take a moment to thank our founding sponsors, Cricketer's Gin. Cricketer's Gin is the perfect podcast partner, as this corker of a gin began its innings at the local village cricket club in Pinckney's Green, Berkshire. Over a G&T, the founders decided that this quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance, deserved a bespoke gin of its own. Cricketer's features milk thistle, wild marjoram and blackberries, amongst other botanicals, delivering a smooth juniper-forward gin. If pink is your preference, they also have a delicious raspberry-distilled pink gin. Please take a look at their website, cricketersgin.com, where you'll find a range of gin hampers too. Apply the code CRICKET, and you'll receive a discount off your purchases. Cricketers, a small batch gin and a family-owned business.
1: William Hill's safer gambling tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders, and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Welcome to Middle Please Umpire, Simon Tau-Fork.
2: So, Simon, let's fire straight in. You two know, you you two, have you actually ever been on a field together? Because what I was thinking is you retired in 2015, and that is, of course, the same year in which Mark made his international debut. And I wondered if there was any connection between Mark arriving on the international scene and you feeling you had no choice but to depart.
4: (laughs) So so just to be clear, 2015, I did the Warren Tendulkar series in the US, uh, in Houston, LA and New York. Now, Mark's had his last test match at Lord's, um, which is pretty much nine years to the day that I did my last test match at Lords uh, in 2012. So there's a bit of a connection there. And the same, well, not the same two teams, but I actually did the 2007 series, I think, there with India and England, with that last test match at Lords ending in a draw uh, in Fading Light with, uh, with Steve Buckner at the other end. Um, so good memories, but yeah, um, so we have some synergy with. Sort of that, but that's about it.
2: I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that Mark's arrival on the scene didn't hasten your departure and you didn't think, oh, look, look how the wind's blowing. I can't, I can't be putting up with this.
4: Well, he's, look, he's part of that front foot no ball club that I really cherish and love so much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> do, you, do you look at contemporary umpires who don't have to look for front foot no balls themselves and think, oh, my goodness, I would love to have been able to just face one direction? Um,
4: no, look, I, I think it's part of the skill set that we develop. Um, but for me, you know, watching the bowler's front foot actually helps with the LBW decision because we tried it back in 2004 in Champions Trophy, funny enough of Edgbaston, I reckon it was, Um, and I could not just not look down and watch the other end. I actually had, because it was in in my routine, and I don't know how modern-day umpire can ignore looking down and looking up, you know, just with the eye movement, and getting an idea about where the bowl is delivering the ball from is part of the LB. I just don't get it. For me, technology breeds mediocrity. Um, it dumb's down the process to the point where artificial intelligence actually um, starts to replace our normal routines and judgments. And as a result, we de-skill ourselves. Um, and uh, you know, I often get asked quite a lot: Do I prepare differently for various forms of the game? And, Mark, you're probably hopefully the same as me, that probably 95% of your prep is pretty much all the same, and then you just vary it depending upon the format, the opposition, the, the venue, the, the conditions that you're going to go into. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how I do it. And technology, it does breed mediocrity.
3: Yeah, no, I agree with that actually, Miles. If, I, if I'm thinking of my routine, I like to be, you know, I'm not someone that's like over, you know, straight, straight straight but i like to have a routine of so i feel like i've covered everything and everything that i've covered is pretty much 95 percent like he says the same through every format the only thing i might do different is like maybe i'm trying to slow a ball on one day as a york or something like that but actually the you know um routine of going through uh the process of visualizing and, and getting your run up right and the feel and everything like that how the ball feels out like your hands hitting the top of the stumps, so all that is exactly the same every time um I just want to like it, it's a, it's an umpire. If a bowler was to say to you, "Am I getting tight?" Does that ring alarm bells in your head straight away, or are you just solely concentrate on every ball?
4: Look, I love I love building a rapport with bowlers. I love um, having some small exchanges to build a relationship, to build a, a working relationship with a bowler. And i I believe that good umpiring is all about solving problems before they happen. And if I can get you back. And if I can say, you know, Mark, you're tight, you need to come back, that keeps me out of the game. I think that umpires, you know, should be out of the game as much as possible. And for me, my style of umpiring was, if you're close, I'll get you back. If a batsman's starting to creep on and run on the pitch, I'll get him off. If a field is getting too close to a fielding breach, like a fielding restriction, I'll say, hang on, are we right? Is everyone in the circle? Now, um, I I believe keeping the umpires out as much of the game as we can keeping the focus on the players, um, who wants to come and see a game of cricket with me sticking my arm out? Really? Um,
2: I have to say you I'm know, actually bang and, up for that, Simon. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: I like I like uh, to see people taking charge. If anything, I like rough discipline. Um, but <laughs> well, what would yeah, be the equivalent with a batsman? In terms of you saying, like, with fielders, yeah. we check everyone's in the circle, or with bowlers saying, you yeah, you're getting a bit tight, what would be the equivalent with a batsman in terms of building yeah, rapport?
4: So so normally with the batting side, you know, sometimes they'll start to run on the pitch, you know, and you'll give them a, a caution or a friendly and say, you know, look, you need to come off quicker, etc. cetera. And if they respond, mission accomplished. You know, we don't need to go down that formal route. Muhammad Yusuf um, from Pakistan was a really fascinating one because I umpired him quite a lot. And he's one of those funny batsmen who would come down to the non-strikers end after playing a leg glance and say, was I falling too far across? And I'd normally respond by saying, mate, I'm just worrying about what I'm doing. But yeah, I'm glad you hit that one. You know, it was good. <laughs> 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 it's
2: funny looking at you now as a retired umpire in the basis on the basis that you know... And I'm only I'm only 42, but as a as, when I was a child watching cricket on television, umpires always seemed to me to be considerably older than you are now. Yeah. and yet you were what 27, 28 when you became an international umpire.
4: 27 ODI debut, 29 first Test match. Uh, yes, yeah, so there was really a fascinating introduction because I, I suppose I started my international career officiating players that I'd almost finished playing with. You know, when I played under-19 for New South Wales uh, Schoolboys, I had Michael Slater, Gilchrist in that side. And here I was, perhaps officiating them at the at the international level. So in one way, it was great because I could leverage a little bit off those relationships, but I found that the contemporaries in my age group actually put a lot more pressure on me to perform and to let my umpiring do the talking for it, where if I compared myself to a David Shepherd. I didn't have that generational gap of uh, being able to tell the players what to do or to command or deserve some of that generational respect. It was all about pure performance. And I was only as good as my last stuff up or only as good as my last game. And I really, I loved that because I wanted to earn the players respect. Um, First and foremost, I didn't want to necessarily leverage off any generational gap that was between me and them. But did you find,
2: say, that if you were, uh, I mean, there would have been people playing in the games that were older than you. Was the, the, uh, was the at- atmosphere with them sort of slightly different than with your contemporaries? I mean, when you're, you know, like when a young policeman tells you off or whatever, very upsetting. Oh,
4: definitely, yeah. You know, look, I learned, um, look, uh, when I was coming through, I had a mentor in New South Wales by the name of Ted White. Now, Ted only did one test, but he was, he, he did something like 43 first-class matches in a row at the SCG a record that will never be broken. And Ted was very big on the apprenticeship. And he he really said to me one day, he said, look, slow down. Don't be in a hurry to get anywhere. Uh, do as many games as you can. Make as many mistakes as you can. Learn as much as you can before you hit the big time and before you burn yourself in front of TV cameras. And I think that's really good advice about um, not being in a, in a hurry to to fail in terms of, the big time and I took that advice on board and, and what it meant for me was coming into still even even though you think you're ready every, every step up is a new environment and, and I know it's just a game of cricket but there are new challenges on top and one of the challenges with international cricket when you break through is distractions there are so many more people who want a piece of you Whether that's friends and family who want free tickets, whether it's um, the media who want um, a comment because it might be your debut. And there are senior, more experienced players who you don't know. And part of your biggest challenge is to bridge this familiarity gap. Because they haven't seen you, because they don't know you, often they think Where's this guy come from? You know, what's, has has he re- earn, earned his um, stripes to be here on this field with me? And one of the first run-ins I had was with Brian Lara. And uh, he was having an argument with Michael Bevan on the field, funny enough, at the SCG. And I thought, well, I'll just shut Brian down who's batting and I'll, and I'll let Michael take care of himself. And if I can control Brian Lara, mission accomplished. Because as Mark would probably know, it's easier for an umpire to – to really work with a batsman next to you than it is worrying about a fast bowler and a fielder. So I tried to do that. And Brian all just looked at me and said, mate, shut up. We're okay. We're just, we're just having a bit of an argument. We'll, we're fine. We've been around a lot more, a lot more than you have. Don't worry about us. And so I learnt really quickly about picking my moment, about when to step in, particularly around really experienced players like a Brian Lara, who's been around for ages. Um so you you learn different things at different levels with different personalities.
3: So on that, did you do you treat say the personality difference? So for example, like if you if you were in Jimmy Anderson, you wouldn't necessarily yes. want to try and have a laugh with him because he's uh he's not that way inclined all the time. But so would you would you pick a uh, yeah, sort of moments with it or, yeah, different personalities and try and work off them?
4: Yeah, very much, Mark. So what I've learned in my career, particularly around conflict management, which is what i work with, with corporate people and other sports people, to manage conflict really well, it's about managing the person and managing the issue and never trying to get the two mixed up. Because often if you're having a talk with Jimmy about, you know, um, running on the pitch, he'll make it about you. You know, why are you picking mm-hmm. on me again? Um, and so I've got to take that back to the issue, which is, Jimmy, make your second steps in there. I've spoken to you twice. You need to come out. If you come out, we're not having this discussion. So let's keep it focused on the issue.
2: Is that, is that what Jimmy's like, Woody? Is he, is he like one of those people that argues with traffic wardens? As if like they're taking away their rights or whatever You're like. I'm not I'm not infringing on your human rights. I'm literally pointing I'm implementing the laws of the land. You can't you can't park on double yellows, Jimmy.
3: I think I think at times he will look for that fight with whether it's the um whether it's the batsman. Cause when he gets on the field when he crosses the white line, Jimmy's someone that, you know, is ultra competitive with anything that he does. And he's looking for anything to just get him going. And I'm sure there's like there's Aussies like that. I mean, that's very different for someone like myself who actually in a recent game, Miles, like we know, um, we probably got over emotional trying to bowl a bum around, things like that. So actually the fun element is this is the side that would help me perform best. So for Jimmy, like if he was if the umpire was there and he was saying things, I mean he's probably got a little bit more, you know, as he's played so much cricket, he, he probably knows people well enough and knows himself. But I think he actually feeds off that a little bit.
4: Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I agree with that. And I think the other thing that the umpire really has to do with a guy like Jimmy is show a bit of empathy. You know, because obviously the bowlers do do it tough. You know, inside edges, drop catches, tighter peels, turned down, and really, just if you're able to say, "Hey, Jimmy, I understand it's hot. I understand you're frustrated. However, you need to do this for us." And there's a match referee up there who'd love to take some money off you, so let's not give him any extra paperwork at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you come with me and and work with me? And normally, that you know, that type of uh, you know, can you turn turn it into a bit of a uh, not not a laugh or a humorous thing, but can you put it in a different way that he's more likely to respond to?
2: But they've got, I mean, they, I suppose they've got to have respect for the match referee, either, haven't they? You can't really be saying, let's try and avoid paperwork because Chris Broad's got an invitation to a barbecue or whatever. You've got to kind <laughs> well, of... One of the,
4: yeah, yeah, but Miles, one of the misconceptions is, is, is people think that the match referee does all the reporting. And in fact, the referee does no reporting. It's actually the umpires who actually put pen to paper at the end of the day and say, you know what? We are going to lay a charge against this particular player, and then they put it in front of the match referee who decides what to do with it.
3: Smokescreen. You see, Males, they never told with this. They never yeah. told with this. This is the first time I've <laughs> yeah, heard no it. No idea. These umpires are rock stars.
4: <laughs> <laughs> One thing I've learned in my career with dealing with high profile coaches and players is that they all want consistency, but they don't want it all the time. They only want it when it suits them. Uh, in their pursuit of winning a match or winning a series. Um, so, you know, so guys like Duncan Fletcher are always fun to deal with because uh, when something went their way, you'd never see them. If they feel like they were getting a hard deal, they'd come and knock on the door and say, hey, what's going on? Are we playing LBWs today or what?
2: It does, yeah. It vaguely reminds me. I can't remember which country it is. There's one country that seems to think they know exactly where the line is that should never be crossed. But I can't. I just can't think who that is. Um, who? How? You couldn't possibly become an umpire without being obviously like a, a, a very big cricket fan. So I was wondering, in that case, how do you sort of compartmentalise? When you're umpiring, I mean, although you're the one making the decisions that will affect the end result, are there games which are so good, so exciting, that although you're in the thick of it, you're thinking, how's this one going to end up?
4: Yeah, good question. Uh, Look, for me, the way I umpired was to desensitise myself from the game, the players and the teams. Uh, I generally did not care who won. I didn't care who was batting. I didn't care who was bowling the only thing i cared about was my performance and my role in the match to keep myself off the back page or off the front page and the best way i could do that for me was just to look at the pads and look at the ball and and make decisions in isolation not to become emotionally engaged or involved in the contest and if anything i actually enjoyed it when australia lost particularly in icc events with one coming up because that meant that i would normally have hopefully a better chance going forward to the pointy end based on neutrality Um, because the, the way that we are assessed is based on performance and you know I think one of the great things about the ICC system now is is that it's not about the umpire it's not about the colour of their passport it's about whether they get their decisions right and whether they actually perform very well and I think that's a really good thing that you take that bias unfairness argument off the table.
2: So you, you can, I suppose, you can almost not look at the scoreboard, can't you? You, can, you need to count to, the number yeah. of balls in and over and you need to know the time. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. You can, you, there's a lot of the game you can just sort of blank out.
4: Yeah, my best games are when I don't look at the scoreboard at all and where I say, where did that session go? You know, are we there already? Um, because that means that I'm in the zone. I'm actually not worrying about I'm overthinking the game. I'm just I'm thinking less and just doing. And for me, that's what it's all about. And I don't care whether, I think one of the rare times, there's only been a couple of instances I can think about where I've gone, wow, how good is this? I was doing an IPL match in Mumbai, Wankedi Stadium. And Mark, you might relate to this, but I've got Mumbai coming out to bat and I've got Tendulkar and Ponting coming out to bat to open the batting. And I'm thinking I'm in the middle of Wankedi with all these people around, bloody noisy. And I've got two of these legends coming out to open the batting, I'm thinking, Wow, this is all right, but I never really <laughs> stood back at, at most of my times and thought, "How lucky am I?" And I've had Warren Bull from my end. I've had Muralitharan. I've had Glenn McGrath. You wow, no, I
3: can't believe that you've never you've never been in like awe of like a, a bowling spell or a batsman. That's amazing. That that's amazing. No,
4: no, I don't care. Uh, I really don't care because. And you
3: know what? That, that 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 that's a brilliant way of thinking about it because then actually, what you're saying about you doing your method, being in the, in control of what you're doing, makes you a better umpire, I guess. So that, that's actually a great way of thinking about it. But I, I, I'm amazed by that.
4: Well, they're not worried about my umpiring. They're not worried about, oh, I've got Simon standing there. So why should I be worried about them? Mm. And when the when the match is over or when the series is finished, or even if I look back on my career now, I can think about, well, how, how lucky was I to umpire some of the, the best that we've seen in our generation? That's fantastic. But the downside is, Miles, to your question, I really haven't experienced the the wow factor. Um, and that's just the way I umpire. That's just me, and that's how I get the best out of me. That's a great answer.
2: But c- can you get that sort of joy back now? I mean, now that you've not got a, a foot in the camp, can you just sit and watch TV as a pure fan? No. No, oh, I'm, no. I'm a
4: terrible cricket watcher. Uh, I hate watching cricket from a, uh, a game perspective, but I love watching cricket from an umpire's perspective because I watch the umpire's. So that's just that's just the way I am.
2: You're, so you're more of an umpire fan than a cricket fan?
4: Well, I, I watch that's... officiating out of interest to see what they're doing and why they're doing it um, because I'm still involved in mentoring. I'm still involved in some coaching. So who, <laughs> who impresses you at the minute? Well, I, look, I think there's a number. Look, Michael Goff's umpiring extremely well at present. I think Nitin Menon is umpiring extremely well. Um, we are blessed with some really good talent going around. Um, you know, the elite panel is very solid. Um, and there were a couple of standouts. You know, Kumar Damasin has been a very good umpire for a long period of time. He's great.
3: He actually, I get on really well with him, actually, from, from another country. He's, he's one of that rapport. He's definitely yeah. one one that he gives you a little bit back. And um, at times I felt, not the name, but at times I felt Alim was a bit hard because he doesn't speak good English. And it's actually, with a Geordie accent, it's actually quite hard for him to understand what I'm saying. So, um, but Kumar... Um, yeah, it's always I've always felt like he's sort of you get
4: i getting on well with him. Yeah, and Mariah Erasmus has got a wonderful demeanour for yeah. me. You know, he's got got one of the lowest heart rates in world umpiring. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I would really like to think that we just don't dumb down umpiring with lots of technology, and because there's so much more to it, we are we are in the people business, you know, and I think managing players, managing conflicts. Creating an environment of cooperation and good spirit is just as important for me as getting a corporate behind right.
2: So when you're, um, say, in the corporate world, talking about conflict resolution and stuff, what mm. what were the mistakes or just situations uh, from which you learnt most? I mean, obviously someone like Andre Nell would be exhausting to be <laughs> There are
4: a number of fast bowlers that do just sort of get very pent up and very much locked away in their own world. And they forget where they are and what they're doing. But Andre, for me, is just very misunderstood. And he's a really lovely guy. And it's a matter of just pulling him back out of the situation So saying, hey, mate, do you know where you are? (laughs) You know, just calm down. Can you you give us the name and telephone number of a loved one? Um, (laughs) One of the things I've learned the hard way is about buying time and uh, so often a great technique for me is to just walk across to my colleague when something unusual happens or we need to talk to a player or just go and stand off to the side of this, of the pitch and just stop the game. You know, just pretty much say, well, I'm not ready and just make eye contact with the player concerned and just, just stop, just stop the flow, just break that flow until we all realize, oh, hang on, why is he doing that? But I've learned most of my, most of my skills by making mistakes, funny enough. And as I talked to you with the Brian Lara one was about picking my moment and I picked the wrong moment. And I really thought, well, if I did that again, when would I do it? What would be the right approach? And I talked to you about Jimmy and about managing the person and managing the issue and not getting into who's right and who's wrong, but also appealing to their better sense of judgment and saying, there's a lot of people watching this game would you be happy for your son or daughter to be watching you do this right, right now? Um, is that the way you'd like them to see you?
3: I'd crumble here. I'd absolutely crumble here. No, No, Mr Toffle, sorry. <laughs>
4: <laughs> what, what do you think the headline's going to be tomorrow morning as a result of this? <laughs> you know?
2: Mark Wood cries in middle of lengthy spell. <laughs>
4: yeah. Under the pressure and scrutiny of international cricket, we all have a bad day from time to time and i think if you can empathize with that understand it and try to think about what's the best option i've got in this situation and have a crack at it and commit to it most of the time you'll be okay
3: so is that any decisions that keep you up at night because it sounds to me like that probably isn't yeah. the way that you're speaking um,
4: no there is no no absolutely it's, it's one of uh If I had my career over again, Mark, what I would do differently is I would talk more about my failures, more about my errors, because I was the guy who'd go back to the hotel room and I'd replay a decision and an error in my head over and over and over and over again. It wore me down to the point where I just could not get rid of it. And I've worked pre-DRS when you make a decision and you probably wouldn't find out until the drinks break when the 12th man ran on and told the team, or you you go in for lunch or tea, um, or one of the spectators would tell you as you walk off. And I've worked post-DRS where you've got that instant feedback and then you've somehow got to regather your thoughts and say, after I've done that terrible signal across your chest, where you've then got to back up and focus on the next ball. And that change of processing the instant feedback is bloody hard but it's something you have to adapt really well to because if you don't, you will crumble. But um, it's one of the biggest regrets in my career that I wish I'd started my career, sharing, talking, grieving faster, and not replaying that decision in my head. Um,
2: before we go on to Mark Wood's super over, I just want to ask very quickly: you've written a, a, a book, finding finding the gaps. Is this, is this the yeah. sort of do you cover your sort of regrets then and and anxieties in the book?
4: I, I talk about the learnings around routines, coachability, um, teamwork, um, managing conflicts uh, bounce back ability, and I talk about what didn't go well, what I've learnt, what did go well, and why. And I also talk about some of the player examples that we've sort of touched on in in this chat so far. And I'm big on sharing. You know, I I had my worst game at Trent Bridge uh, with England and New Zealand. And I read a book on the way back called Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert, the tennis player. And I wish that I'd read that before that match because it really put me back onto the path. And after that game and series, I thought, Uh, this is not what I thought test cricket was about. And I was ready to pull the pin and I thought, no, I'm not up for this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to feel this way. And I read that book and I thought, you know what? I reckon I can do this now. I reckon I now have the mental ability to avoid that vicious circle of beating yourself up after you make a mistake. And three or four months after that worst game, I stood up um, and took out the first ICC Umpire of the Year award. If you'd said that to me then after that that last match, I would have said you were joking. So in the book, I talk about bounce-back ability. I talk about what I've learnt from research, from working with some of the great people in cricket and trying to pass that on to other people in their own discipline and how do they apply those transferable skills into what they do. Oh, great. Well,
2: I'm very, um, looking forward to, Is it. An, is there an audio book?
4: There's no audio book, but there is a Kindle book. Um, so... Amazon do have a an electronic version. Yes. Super
2: right now. Well, I look forward to that uh, We've got time just for uh, Mark wood's super over which is I mean, I know you've withstood some serious pressure over the years Simon But I mean <laughs> strap in uh, It's gonna be 90 uh, before
3: before I do it. Can I ask what how you decided what kind of out that you would be? Like obviously Billy Bowden had the crooked finger Venkat had the way he touched his glasses Rudy <laughs> death. Did you practice in your hotel room? Were you like, that's me, that no. one?
4: No, I didn't, but, but it's, it's funny you mentioned Billy Bowden because I, I love him to death. Um, he's a great guy to have at a barbecue and a party, and, um, but he can be very challenging to work with at times because <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if I try to, to go unnoticed and not be the centre of attention, Billy is almost the other end of that scale. <laughs> um, so it is quite unique, but... <laughs> I'd no. say me and Miles. I'm honestly I'm
3: constantly have to dull myself down for Miles here. He's off the charts.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well it's mine just addiction to fabulousness. Um <laughs> I'm like I'm like Cher at the Oscars. Uh okay. <laughs> right, so we're gonna go for um Mark Wood super Over. Don't don't think, just answer. Those are those basically the rules? Got ninety seconds. Simon Tuffle, let's go
3: now. Uh, make of your first uh, cricket bat. Duncan Shirley. Lovely. Most random celeb or important person in your phone? Uh, Dilly La Lama. <laughs> uh, Favourite sandwich filling? Oh, peanut butter. Oh, nice choice. Your club needs you. Will you score or umpire? <laughs> I'd love to score at the moment. <laughs> I've had enough umpiring. <laughs> <laughs> Name a song that's recently been stuck in your head.
4: Um, by River by Cole Chisel.
3: Mike Gatting is coming for dinner. What will
4: you cook to impress him? Um, um, uh, I'll do a a wonderful chicken parmigiana for Mike. Uh, (laughs) Knocky knocky nine doors,
3: knock, knock, ginger, or knock and run? I have no idea what you're asking there, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) And you've come to the wicket to bat. What guard are you asking for? Centre, please. Oh, we'll take it. That's the Aussie version of middle piece, aren't We'll take it. We'll take it. Uh by the best of all margins. There, Miles, we have got it in. Um, Bang. Done. Very good. I wonder I wonder what the Aussie equivalent of knocking nine doors is. So it's basically knock and run, knock on the door, leg it. Oh uh, um, knock and bolt. <laughs> <laughs> knock and bolt. Knock See, Miles, we just got the lingo wrong. Knock and that's, bolt. That's what it do,
2: is. To be honest, I've been reeling since the Dalai Lama. That's the that's the best. Yeah. Unbelievable. Probably the first religious leader mentioned, to be honest. Um mm. Oh, no, I'm wrong. Jack Russell knows the Pope. Um, Simon, it's (laughs) been... (laughs) Um, Simon, it's been an absolute privilege having you on. You are the first umpire to appear on Middle, please umpire we're unlikely to have anyone called middle or please ever so it's, you're going to have that accolade forever um thank you very much indeed for coming on best of luck with the book and enjoy well i hope you enjoy not umpiring
4: uh, essentially well miles i love doing first so i was incredibly fortunate to be the first umpire to do the Cowdrey lecture i reckon um back in well, gee, 2013 might have been, i'm guessing now but that was a fantastic experience i love going places where we haven't been before um, it's nice to be able to talk to an international player in a non-threatening environment. That's really <laughs> fascinating. <laughs> Great. Well, thank, thanks so much for your time, bud. And I don't owe him anything. I don't owe him any favours. I had not stopped any of the decisions up. Really. <laughs> <laughs> thanks,
3: Miles. Thanks, Thank Simon. you, Mark. Quality.
2: Well, Simon Telfil, I, I must have seen him mumpoing so many times when I've been at the ground and, and on television. It's quite... Because you just don't, you don't hear umpires, you know. Maybe someone might have to come on and display a decision or whatever.
3: But I thought it was fascinating actually to, to get it from his point of view of you know the the methods that he goes through and the, the way that he sees the game from his end. Obviously, as a player, you have huge respect for umpires because they sort of run the game and uh, they make sure it flows. That you know that could be good or bad decisions or whatever. But actually, the respect is always there. So actually, it was nice to get from his point of view how he sees the players, how he sees the game, and. Um, yeah, it was uh, uh, bizarrely. I didn't think that he was going to say that anything would keep him up at night because, like the way that he was, he, he thought of the game as just from an iron point of view. He didn't get emotionally attached to the game. Yeah. But actually, it seems like he put so much pressure on his own performance, on just doing a, a things like
2: a, as well as he could do them. Yeah, like a lot, like a player would as well. Yeah, that, I mean, it's something I'm amazed about with you sometimes—is how much you take it on your own shoulders. And clearly, that's that's a thing with with, with him as, as well, really. And that the whole thing of seeing calm and seeing everything about it—it's it, almost like—I don't mean it's—it's it's a false. It's that's the way of doing the job well. If I'm disappointed, if I'm annoyed with myself, part of doing this job well is to conceal that fact. I suppose, like, if I'm doing something. I don't know some nerve-wracking awards do or whatever. My job is to look calm, so that's what you have yeah. to do. And I and feel like it's yourself... an
3: umpire as well. Do you not, do you not think like it's even more specific than say a batsman, who although they're there by themselves, they have a partner at the other end, An umpire has an umpire at the other end. But actually, you're never getting that that togetherness. Or, or an umpire by himself feels a type. It can obviously feel very much like the focus is on you alone, not a batting partnership or a you know fielding team or a ball a and partnership
2: well so, every time there every appeal or whatever it's on it's on you all the time isn't there there's all these other things going on plus if you, you know if you play in a drawn test match an umpire that's that's 450 overs you're out there you're at the you're you're at square leg or you're at the bowler's end and you're you're on all the time you know
3: dretton, they've got like a barbecue friday night they're like oh I'll yeah, just yeah give this one. we'll shoot off, great. Day.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love him to say, Billy Bowden, great fun at a barbecue, but slightly challenging to work with. That is up there with the uh, Sam Mendes's description of uh, <laughs> Graham Swan. Uh, absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Um, thank you very much indeed for listening to this episode of uh, Middle Please Umpire. There will be more to come. Uh, check out the website for a fabulous range of merchandising, including new uh, bumper stickers, and, of course, uh, baby grows. <laughs>
3: uh, goodbye from me Miles Jupp and goodbye from me Mark Wood. See you next time.
2: All oh, should be taken and is taken. Brilliant from Mark Wood, what a spell this has been.
1: For all the latest cricket betting markets, in play odds and promotions, visit Williamhill.com or download the free app. 18 Plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Sports
4: Social Podcast Network.